in that. Our series for Christmas is entitled Behold. Behold, as Tim mentioned as he was leading us today in worship, it's just that word that, that stops you. Um, it's a word that's used to grab your attention. And as I mentioned last week, maybe not in our 2022 vernacular, do you oftentimes hear people say, Behold, look at this sale at Target. Um, behold, look at you know, these Christmas ornaments. Uh, but I believe you understand in the his- history of the English language uh, how that word is used. It's an exclamatory word. It's a, it's a word to cause you to draw your attention to something and maybe to make a major announcement. Behold. And by the way, there are many ways we can describe the word worship, the word adoration, but one of the main ways we can describe it is through this word behold of is to call our attention to the one we're worshiping. It's to call our attention away from all of the busyness and all the difficulties of life and all the harsh realities of this world that we face. Is to call our attention briefly away from those things and to behold and call our attention to the one who is in charge and in control of everything. Behold, behold, in this Christmas series we are going to explore some different statements uh, used in scripture that either directly have the word behold with it or would imply the word behold with it. This is not a series for Christmas where we're going to start in the beginning of a chapter and end it at the end of the chapter. That's not the way this is going to work. These sermons will stand alone in their own text. We're going to stay in the text each week as we are committed to. But today I simply want to bring to you a sermon entitled, Behold, a virgin will conceive. I don't know about you, I've been Raised in church my entire life. How, how many of you, that was your testimony as a young kid? You remember growing up and going to church, right? And you remember that that is your, your testimony. Okay, cool. So if you were like me, uh, you have been to church. You've probably been to church oftentimes during the month of December when Christmas was going on. And, you know, pastors do Christmas series. By the way, if you've been here long, you know I do not like doing Christmas series. I'm doing one this year. It's not my favorite thing to do. I think there's like a, a unattainable expectation out there to like find something new about Christmas. And it's like there's really nothing new about Christmas. But I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I, I know this. I cannot remember a time where I heard a sermon devoted to the doctrine of the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't know that I have ever heard a sermon specifically highlighting that doctrine. And I was, as I was thinking through the behold statements of Scripture, we're going to read in two different Gospels this morning this statement, Behold, a virgin will conceive. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible app, if you have either one. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Not to guilt trip you, but I do have my real Bible here today. As I do about once a month, this is my favorite Bible. If you want to feel what a really good Bible feels like. See me afterwards. It's the best feeling Bible. This leather, it's incredible. It's, it's spread throughout the church. Several people throughout the church have this uh, same 
uh, Bible. And so anyway, it's really good. I like my Bible. Um, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a, a virgin betrothed or engaged, as we would say in today's vernacular, to a man whose name was, was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, um, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We just sang it, didn't we? That you will reign forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her uh, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. By the way, that's John the Baptist speaking of. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A virgin will conceive. Matthew chapter 1, we're in Luke chapter 1, turn back two books. Matthew chapter 1, another rendition of the Christmas story, a little bit different in Matthew than in Luke for sure. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We just read about that. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In the previous reference, as the angel visited Mary, he will be called the Son of God. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet in the Old Testament, saying... Behold, the virgin 
shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. This supernatural virgin conception, really, commonly presented as the virgin birth, but really it was the virgin conception that was the miracle of Jesus. As I mentioned, if you grew up in the church world, ironically, the virgin birth of Jesus was often taken just as truth, but not often necessarily taught on or expounded upon. And so my goal today is to maybe expound upon that a little bit, the implications of the virgin birth of Jesus. What are the details or why does it matter? Why is it important? That we understand and accept the truth that Jesus Christ was born of a woman who had not ever known a man. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word as we open this Christmas series. God, I pray that we would leave today with a, a greater appreciation of this truth, this doctrine in your word of the miraculous birth of your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen, amen. We know this morning the biological means by which human beings come into this world. And by the way, I don't have to be a scientist, nor a biologist, nor anything else to understand that a man and a woman come together and the result of things that happen, because we got little ears in here, is that a baby is born. Now, I'll be, I was raised very sheltered. Okay. I maybe shouldn't say this. It's all right. I'm going to do it. This is my daughter's in here. It's all good. No. I was raised very sheltered. I had a, a distant family member um, who, unfortunately, as a teenager, um, had a child and just an unfortunate situation. But when I, I remember as like a little kid asking my parents, how did that happen? And they were like, well, she, she made some really bad choices. And so I remember as a kid going like, oh, no, I don't want to make any, any bad choices because, you know, I don't want <laughs> to happen to me. And so I'm like, like, should I choose? I don't want to choose that. I want to choose this. So like, anyway, it's the joys of being brought up in a pastor's home. <laughs> it's like, Dad, it's, it's bad when you're like, hey, Dad, I think it's about time you had the talk with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway. <laughs> I digress. But the teaching of the virgin birth has been a long-held doctrine of the church. It's not necessarily debated. Um, 99% of your Orthodox Christian teachings affirm the virgin birth of Jesus. The virgin birth refers to the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ apart from the normal physical process of procreation. Instead, Jesus was uniquely conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth is the means by which the eternal Son of God became fully human, incarnate, Emmanuel. 
He was born of Mary with a true body and a true soul. The virgin birth also is the means by which Jesus was born holy and sinless in distinction from all other children that were born naturally since Adam. Jesus was not represented by Adam when the first man sinned. So therefore he is not in Adam. Instead, Jesus is the head of a new creation. He was not, as Romans 5 tells us, one man sinned into the world, and so death passed upon all men through Adam because all have sinned. If Jesus came through that line and his father was of the lineage of all the way traced back to Adam, he would have been born in sin. And so the virgin birth on his mother's side, the Virgin Mary, it shows his humanity. On the father's side, it shows his divinity. And these are very important implications this morning. Jesus has claimed to be the supernatural son of God. Do you remember the book of Mark? We spent a year and a half there. Y'all remember that? Uh, In the book of Mark, you remember what he spent a lot of his time doing? Hey guys, I really am the son of God. I really am. I am who I claim to be. Those claims rest on realities like I was supernaturally conceived. I was born to a woman who had never known a man. And may I say this morning that the virgin birth is not just a take it or leave it matter. It's not just, a, oh, okay, well, we can agree to disagree. No, it's not at all because this issue touches whether we believe in God's supernatural intervention in this sin-sick world. Do we believe in the biblical teachings of Scripture? Do we uh, believe in the unique parallel between Adam The first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus. The plain meaning of Scripture. The first Adam, sin. The second Adam, Savior. It is important that we understand and we believe this doctrine. So with that framework, I'd like to give you three, and we're going to get out early today. Brian's not here. Just because Brian's not here, we're going to get out early today. Three important implications of the virgin birth of Jesus. Number one, the virgin birth supports Jesus as fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 6. These are all Christmas implications. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That is the Christmas story. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. We're seeing it right here in this text. 
Fully man, now fully God. God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is fully God and he is fully man. Now this reality can become tricky. It's due to the fact that the eternal holy God who sees no time, no space, omnipresent, omnipowerful, omnipotent. The omnipotent God came in the form of like of me and you. And that can get tricky. There are obvious limitations that Jesus willfully experienced in his physical journey on this earth. I want you to hear me. There are obvious limitations that Jesus willfully experienced when he was on this earth physically. However, never did Jesus surrender his ability to do anything. This is a very important truth about fully God, fully man. About being born of a virgin, but being born of the Spirit. He never surrendered his ability. At any time, at any place, Jesus possessed all authority as the Son of God. Verse 7 in this Philippians 2 text, it said that he made himself, he made himself of no reputation. He willfully took on the physical limitations during his earthly ministry. And you say, Josh, why is that important? It's, to me, it's a very important because there are many secondary doctrines and there are many, uh, I've, within the last two years, I've heard people say, well, when Jesus was on this earth, he couldn't, he needed fill in the blank in order to perform that miracle or he needed this or that in order to do that. Listen, Jesus willfully laid down himself as a human being. And any limitation that he felt or that he had as a human being was willful. And at any given time and any given moment, Jesus could have done anything he wanted to do. I remember a song from back when I was growing up in church that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. It's like, man, maybe he should have. Um, He could have. He could have. The question is, could Jesus have, if Jesus could do anything he wanted to, could he have sinned? I've heard that question raised. Could he have, fill in the blank. Did Jesus need this blank in order to accomplish this on this earth? But that's not really the direct correlation here with the virgin birth. I just wanted to make that clear this morning, that anything that Jesus did in his humanity was willful. And he willfully laid aside uh, whatever those limitations are that he took on. He willfully laid aside uh, his deistic or or the, the deity that he had in order to take on the human form. As it relates to the virgin birth, however, Jesus being fully God and fully man, Jesus was born supernaturally, but not in a way that made his humanity different from ours. He was tempted like you and I, yet without sin. 
He was one who was conceived uniquely of a woman by the Holy Spirit. He is guarded from original sin because he is fully God. And he stands uniquely parallel to Adam as the second Adam, fully man. Were Jesus to have been born through Adam, his father, he would have been born with a sinful nature by default. And he would not be the sinless Savior. So the virgin birth is the means by which the Holy Son of God was born without sin. John MacArthur said it this way. I don't always quote MacArthur, but when I do, it's a long quote. All right, here we go. <laughs> Listen to him preach. They're all long. Anyway, Mary's virginity protected a great deal more than her own moral character, her reputation, and the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. It protected the nature of the divine Son of God. Jesus had to have one human parent or he could not have been human and thereby a partaker of our flesh. But he also had to have divine parentage of he could not have made a sinless and perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Do you see how the virgin birth works with fully God and fully man? That's where the virgin birth comes in there, that fully man, Mary of a virgin, fully God, fathered by the Holy Spirit. That's one implication is that if we understand fully God, fully man, we must accept the virgin birth of Jesus as doctrinal truth. Secondly this morning, the virgin birth supports Jesus as the preexistent divine son of God. The virgin birth supports Jesus as the preexistent divine son of God. It is fitting that the one who is already the Son of God, the one who is a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, Jesus, a virgin birth is fitting for the Son of God. Our Savior is not only a man, but He is the divine Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is uniquely the God-man. The only one who can accomplish salvation on our behalf. He is god with us in human form, Emmanuel. I think sometimes that we treat this book, I have mine open to, to the gospel according to Luke. I fear sometimes we treat this book almost like a fairy tale. As I grew up, I was a reader somewhat as a kid. And I remember growing up, I used to like the boxcar children, because I was a Christian. Um, Sugar Creek Gang, because I was a Christian. And the Hardy Boys, I don't think that's because I was a Christian. But um, how many of you read the Hardy Boys growing up? All my saved people out here, that's good. I think sometimes we think of the Apostle Paul like he's like Joe Hardy the brother, and Peter's like Frank Hardy, the other brother, and then you had, oh, we have Timothy, he's like Chet, their friend, who had a jalopy, I'll never forget that, where I was like, what is a jalopy? My parents like, it's the kind of car you're going to drive when you turn 16, so anyway, but I fear sometimes that we don't fully grasp that God himself was wrapped in flesh and like actually walked on this earth. 
My, I, one of my best friends in the world right now, Dustin Moore, he and, and his wife and four kids were afforded a trip, literally a trip of a lifetime, to go over to the uh, Holy Land and to see all these places where Jesus walked. They're there right now. And the, the trip includes that as, and also some of the Mediterranean stops of Paul. And so I was thinking about this. How awesome is it that his uh, what, 10-year-old son is like walking in the places where Jesus walked? How cool is it that his teenage daughters saw the empty tomb with their own eyes? And I fear sometimes that we, we, we kind of separate the realities of the fact that 2,000 years ago, this was taking place here on this earth. And we're like, oh yeah, I read about that. Yeah, cool. But like it's real. It's real. And if Jesus was truly God in the flesh, incarnate as a human being, then God in the flesh could not have been born through a typical human birth. Supernatural Jesus required a supernatural entrance. A supernatural Savior needed a supernatural birth. As we have mentioned before, had Jesus been born as you and I are born, every claim that he made about his deity, about the fact that he was God in the flesh, would have come, and rightfully so, come into question. We've hinted around at this, and we've talked around this, but I want to address this Romans chapter 5. You say, Josh, this, this sounds like a Bible study today. It is somewhat, because I want us to grasp the importance of the truth. Romans 5 and verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come, Jesus, an imperfect type. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Listen, this morning it is important. The virgin birth is important because it supports Jesus as pre-existent, divine Son of God. He was there at creation. Let us create man in our image. He came to earth after the 400 period year period after the book of Malachi and the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're off, there's a 400 year period of silence there and he comes on the scene supernaturally born of a virgin. And then lastly this morning, the virgin birth supports God's initiative in salvation. We weren't three chapters in to the beginning of civilization before we screwed it up. Genesis 3. Sin entered. There are many questions that you and I can have about that. There are many questions about 
the timing of that. There's many questions about Lucifer, the fallen angel. There's many questions that people have, and there are good, valid questions. My, not my purpose today is not to, to, to speak on those. But the fact is that very soon into human civilization, sin became present. We know that God's fellowship with Adam and Eve was daily. He would come down in the cool of the day and he would walk with Adam and he would walk with Eve. And we know the fellowship was unbroken. But we know that immediately when that sin happened, what happened? God comes down in the cool of the day as he did every day to walk with Adam and Eve. Where are they? You remember? They're hiding. They're ashamed. They already began the separation process from their creator God. Sin. And that's a major problem. For we were created for God's glory and for his honor and for his pleasure. And sin entered the world. Adam and Eve hid from the Lord. They realized in their sin that they weren't wearing any clothes. They attempted to cover their nakedness with leaves from a plant. And the very first example and typification of the gospel was when Jesus called them out of their hiding And he asked them, who told you that you were naked? And what does he tell them to do? He tells them to remove the coverings that they had made. And he tells them to cover themselves with animal skin. Blood had to be shed immediately for the sin of Adam and Eve. In order to cover their shame and their guilt, there had to be Shed blood. But what was going to be the plan, God? What about everybody else who was now born in sin? I mean, listen, we got one generation and we have a brother who murders another brother. Like, we made it to one. Like, first human beings sin, their kids kill each other. That's how fast that sin moves along. God, what is the plan? Because it's obvious that sin is now a reality in this world. It's obvious that that humanity has turned their back and forsaken their creator. It's obvious that you no longer, you shut out that portion of this earth, the Garden of Eden. You no longer come down in the cool of the day and we no longer have fellowship. God, what is the plan? And we know what the plan is. The plan is that God would send his son. That God would send someone who could live perfectly in a sin-filled and sin-cursed world. And that is not you and that is not me. Simply put, Donald Bloch says it this way. The virgin birth explicitly shows that salvation 
comes from above. God's plan all along was that Jesus would supernaturally enter this world, live a supernaturally perfect life, die a sinner's death, experience a supernatural resurrection, and bring salvation to every single human being on the face of this earth. Providing a way of escape, providing a door to enter, The virgin birth was the first tangible way that God showed us that his plan was in motion. Listen to me. What are the implications of the virgin birth? The virgin birth was the first tangible, visible thing we could see in human history of like, okay, God is, this is happening. This is happening. It was the virgin conception. The virgin birth. A birth like no other led to a life like no other. And may I say this, that Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you today. He may be someone you've just heard about. Jesus may be someone that you know a little bit about. Maybe you went to Sunday school as a kid. Maybe Jesus is someone you know a whole lot about. But I'm here to tell you today that the fact that he was born in this, in this world, on this earth, by a virgin shows that God loves you immeasurably. He loved you and loves you so much that he sent his son. Parents in the room? Son, your, your, your child. He sent his child, his son, to die for the sins of the world. And I I mean, listen, we're a small little pocket in here of the world. But here's here's how we're going to close the service. We're going to have every one of us talk about maybe the worst sin. We're not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. The worst sins that we've all committed. We're going to go around the room. Keith, grab a mic. No. Just in this room. If we collectively took our sins and we laid them at the cross, just in this room. What incredible love. What incredible, what an incredible Savior. The fact that if we just, and then to think, the sins of all of the humanity currently, seven point whatever billion people that exist on this earth. Every prisoner, every conviction, every convicted murderer, every Every person that's taken advantage of children, the grossest, whatever you can think of, everyone currently alive on this earth, those sins placed at the cross. And he died for them. But that's just now. Think about 10 years ago and 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 1,000 years ago. Listen, the virgin birth matters because it was God's way of saying the plan is in action. Jesus is here I love you. So my question today, if you've never given your life and your heart to the one who was born supernaturally of a virgin, have you ever considered Jesus this Christmas? He loves you. 
as I said in the beginning of the sermon, he willfully laid down his life. At any moment, he could have invoked his Godhead into any situation. He willfully laid himself on that cross, and he did it for you. He died because he loves you. He wants to reconcile you to the Father. We're done. You remember Garden of Eden? Every day, God would come down in the cool of the day, and he would talk with Adam and Eve, and they would walk together, and they would discuss, why did you name that animal an alpaca? I don't even understand that. Um, why is that a cow? I don't, I don't understand. I'm not sure what they talked about, but maybe it was that. But they, would have, they would have fellowship. And when sin entered, the fellowship was broken. You know what Jesus has come to do? He's come to restore the fellowship with the Father. He has come to open up the line of communication. He has come to bridge the gap between the sinner and their creator. And my question is, have you accepted and believed and trusted in Jesus to draw you back to the Father, to renew your relationship with your creator, to give you an eternal home with him in heaven one day? That's my question. This Christmas... The best gift you could receive is salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. Heavenly Father, we love you today. A supernatural God, supernatural Jesus, a supernatural Savior, entered this world a supernatural way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your plan of a, a, a virgin young lady, Mary, highly favored. Thank you for that plan of Joseph, a godly man, a man willing to follow your leading and helping to raise the Son of God, but Make no mistake, not the Father. For he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible truth this morning. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.